Wonderful. Good morning, everybody. It's really good to see you. Um, so last week, um, Dave uh, wonderfully, I, I felt, finished off our series um, that we were doing in Revelation. So thank you to him for doing that. Steve and I were um, away at a wedding um, last week, so it was good to know we're in safe hands. Um, so this morning, we're going to kind of enter into an, a new season of teaching um, that's going to take us uh, through the rest of the summer, whatever kind of weeks we have left there. And really, um, what we want to do is kind of gather around this word um, breakthrough. Breakthrough. I'm not sure what kind of comes to your mind when you hear the word um, breakthrough this morning. Um, but we're just kind of praying into this at the moment. And um, as a leadership, we've been gathering and, and praying. And one of the things I think we, we kind of sense is that we're, we're coming into this season of um, really of intimacy with God, really of drawing closer to Him, hearing from Him, and, and really what this kind of word breakthrough comes out of that and this idea that um, God is wanting to do something in our lives individually, and God is wanting to do something in our church as well. Um, but kind of this morning, um, actually, I don't really want to talk about breakthrough so much as I want to talk about brokenness. Because in order for a breakthrough to occur, there first needs to be a struggle. There needs to be something um, that we are going through. And I think sometimes as Christians, we're not very good at admitting when it is that we are struggling. We're not very good at holding our hands up and saying, you know what, I'm finding things really, really difficult at the moment. We much prefer um, the language of victory. We love scriptures such as Romans 8.37 that says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Or John 8.36 that says, If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. We sang it earlier. Or even 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new has come, the old has gone. And we, we love these sort of scriptures, don't we? And they sound fantastic and they make us feel really good but I just wonder how many of us really live in the reality of those words day to day. How many of us strut around proudly proclaiming that we are more than conquerors, that we are free men and women, that we are new creations or how many of us feel somewhat less than conquerors, maybe a little bit trapped, maybe not so new and shiny, but sort of old and maybe a bit worn out. I was sitting with a friend last week and, and we were reflecting on some of the names that, that as Christians we love to give to our, our summer camps. We've mentioned this morning already that we're going to Limitless next week. And the strap line is that we are a limitless generation. It sounds really good, doesn't it? But we started to ask, what would these festivals be called if they were maybe named after how we're really feeling. Instead of limitless, would it be limited? Or maybe just exhausted? We are a weary generation. Instead of sole survivor, would it be just about surviving? Feel like you're barely hanging on? Come and join thousands of others who feel the same. Instead of new wine, maybe too much wine? Not enough time? Can't find a third rhyme? Instead of spring harvest, maybe it would be summer drought. And I wondered, you know, what sort of hit the ticket sales might 
take if they started to name some of these things in the negative rather than the positive. And really, we were, we were only having a bit of fun, but actually, I think it's really important not to shy away from how we're really feeling. One of the things I've been reflecting on personally recently is just how um, fragile we all are, how under the surface most of us are kind of just about keeping it together, you know, we're managing our own insecurities and our fears and our failures and we're working hard just to present a version of ourselves that we feel will be acceptable, scared that if someone were to peel back the layers they would perhaps discover that things aren't quite as they should be. And often even the people that we think have it all together are not quite as together as you might think. Something I've been asked a lot over the past kind of four years that I've been um, an assistant minister in the church is how could God let this happen to me? And there's lots of reasons that that question surfaces for people. Sometimes it's the death of a loved one. Sometimes it's a diagnosis of an illness or a change in circumstances or prolonged suffering or even in some cases just a struggle to become free from a specific sin. And maybe that's a question that you've asked yourself in recent times and I really wish I had an easy answer to give you this morning. I wish I could give you a simple three-point sermon that sorted it all out for you and then maybe five easy steps for your life to be fixed but I can't, I don't have all of the answers, but as I've walked with others in their brokenness and as I've experienced some of my own, I've become convinced, I've become convinced that God is wanting to meet with us in the middle of our brokenness and God is wanting to love us through it. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning at the start of this season of teaching. And sometimes I think we can get it into our head that unless we're in this good place spiritually with God, that he isn't going to want anything to do with us. You know, so we pretend that everything is fine and we keep calm and we carry on and we're fearful that if we don't, our, our friends and our church family might reject us. But I don't think that's true. I think God is wanting to meet us in the middle of the mess. I think he is wanting to walk with us. I think he's wanting to communicate with us and love us and restore us. And I think he is calling us to do the same for each other. I don't think God takes any pleasure in our brokenness whatsoever. I think it actually hurts him to see his creation suffer. And I could give you scriptures that, that kind of support that position. I think about um, when, when Jesus saw Mary mourning the, the loss of her brother and it, and it broke his heart and he cried or when he had compassion on those that were harassed and helpless and, and his heart broke again. But more than anything, you know, it's just that when I, I pray with people in their brokenness, I get a sense of God's overwhelming love for them. And I truly believe that God is, is a loving Father, a Father who desires that we be made whole. But in order for that, that to happen, I think we need to come to a place of honesty where we are prepared to throw ourselves on the mercy of God and to seek Him in the midst of our hurt and our pain. So I wonder if you would turn with me to uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19. It's in the Old Testament, so I'll give you a few minutes to find it. I know we don't spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. Um, but I want to spend a few minutes this morning looking at a person called Elijah. If you're struggling, just use your contents. It's all right, it'll tell you. Elijah, if you're not familiar with the character, he was a prophet. Prophet is someone who brings a message from God 
Um, he was one of the greatest prophets in the entire Bible. I've got an Elijah too. He's six. He's not a prophet um, yet. We'll see. Um, but the name Elijah means, my God is Yahweh. My God is Yahweh. And the message that Elijah was given, um, really, it was a challenge, a challenge to the northern kingdom of Israel to stop worshipping other gods, specifically the Canaanite god Baal. And Baal was the god of rain and thunder and lightning, and so Elijah pronounced a drought across the land until people were prepared to turn back to God. It's a bleak message, especially in those days because people relied upon the land to grow crops so they could eat. They didn't have supermarkets where food magically appears. Um, so it was a big issue. But God looked out for Elijah in the drought. He watched over him. He kept him safe. When he was in the wilderness, he was fed by ravens who brought him meat and bread. The first ever Uber Eats is in one Kings 17. <laughs> Later, when he stayed with the widow, God caused the little flour and oil she had to be multiplied many, many times so that they could eat. And the widow had a son who died, and Elijah prayed to God over that son, and he was raised back to life, the first recorded resurrection in the Bible. And it was because of miracles like this that some in the Jewish community thought that Jesus was Elijah come back to earth. So he was kind of a big deal. He was God's man at the time. His greatest triumph, however, was his challenge to the prophets of Baal. He called 450 of the prophets of Baal together in front of Ahab, who was the king at the time, and said, All right, lads, enough is enough. We're going to settle this once and for all. He said, Two bulls, one each. We're both going to build an altar. To our gods, I'll build mine to Yahweh, you build yours to Baal, and then we'll pray and we'll see whose God brings fire to burn up the offering. And being a gentleman, he let them go first, and they made their altar, and they cut up their bull, and they called on their God, but there was, there was no answer. And after a few hours, Elijah starts to, to tease them a little bit. He says, oh guys, maybe you want to shout a bit louder? Maybe your God's fallen asleep, or, you know, popped out for a coffee or something, go on. Honestly, it's in there, sarcasm in the Old Testament. But after a whole day of shouting and dancing and other frantic activities, there was no answer. And so Elijah took his turn. He built his altar. He set his bull upon it. And then in an act of pure showmanship, he starts to pour water all over the altar. Not once, not twice, but three times until the whole thing was dripping wet with water and he prays to God and fire comes down from heaven and burns up the sacrifice. And then he did away with the prophets of Baal and the drought the country had been experiencing came to an end. Rain clouds appeared in the sky and it was this incredible moment of triumph for God and for Elijah, his messenger. And it says at the end of chapter 18, the power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now as the, ki as the king, he rode in a chariot. And so this is, this is Elijah running ahead of a chariot. All right? He's tucked his belt in. He's going like this. The, the wind is catching his hair. It's flowing out behind him. There's rain clouds and there's lightning and the, the sacrifice is still burning. And you know that bit in, in, in movies where like, there's an explosion and the hero kind of runs away from the explosion. It's all slow-mo. That's what we're picturing here. This incredible, incredible moment of triumph. 
Elijah was the hero, God's chosen man, a man of faith, a man who trusted God, a man who received his provision time and time and time again. And yet, look what happens immediately afterwards. Chapter 19. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel, that's the queen, everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. In other words, I'm going to get you. I'm after you, mate. And, and Jezebel had killed many of the prophets of Yahweh already, so she meant it. But, you know, Elijah had nothing to fear, right? I mean, the dude just literally outran a chariot. How is she even going to catch him? Plus the, the whole, like, fire from heaven thing. He was untouchable, surely. But look what it says in verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He was afraid and ran for his life. This mighty man of God was scared at the promise of the queen and he ran. Not in God's strength as he, as he had before, but in his own. In fact, he ran in the opposite direction as far as he could go. It says, when he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there and he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Bathsheba was about a hundred miles away and it still wasn't further enough for him. It'd be like getting to Land's End and then getting in a rowboat and just keeping going until the morning. It says he came to a broom brush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. What happened? How did this great man of God go from literally setting the world on fire to sobbing under a bush, praying for death. It seems that Elijah falls at the very point where he was strongest. And I guess none of us are untouchable, right? And I get it, I really do, because I've seen it in my own life. You know, one day I could be killing it for the Lord, I could be bringing the fire, praying for folks, speaking truth, hearing testimonies of lives changed, and the next... You know, just wondering what the point of it is and feeling down and lost and hurt and confused. And I don't know if that sounds like an admission of failure to you this morning or not. But I want to be honest about this stuff because my life is not a constant victory parade. It's not always racing ahead of a chariot. Sometimes I'm under a bush looking for a way out. How about you? ever feel that way? Do you know that place? If you're not there now, it doesn't mean that you won't be there at some point on your journey. So what happened? What led Elijah to this point? We know he was being threatened, but what happened to his faith? Why did it disappear so quickly? Why did he stop trusting that God would look after him? Was he angry at God about his situation? Despite this great victory, he was still under threat. Was he proud? Did he feel that some great injustice had been done against him? Did he get a case of the why me's? Why me, Lord? It's not fair. Was he exhausted? Maybe all that, after all that altar building and running and telling people about God, maybe he was just physically 
drained. You know, that can happen to us, can't it? Was he disappointed? Perhaps he expected the nation to change, but when he saw that the leaders were still corrupt, his heart sank. Anger, pride, exhaustion, disappointment, frustration, fear, failure, it all got too much for him. Maybe he was mentally unwell. I don't say that as a joke. You know, we have much better understanding of mental health today. And Elijah's displaying some worrying traits, isn't he? Irrational behavior, not seeing his situation, clearly depression. Actually, you know, mental health can happen to any of us. But whatever the reason it was, it led into this place of desperation. And he prayed to die. He prayed for the easy way out. It was a prayer that God declined to answer. And interestingly, it's the first prayer of Elijah's that God doesn't answer. And I think that sometimes when we're in that place of brokenness, we don't always see clearly. We don't always know what's best for us in that moment. Often we can't see beyond the situation we're in. The walls can feel like they're closing in and we can struggle, struggle to see a way out. But God's perspective is bigger than ours. And although Elijah thought this was the end of the road, God knew that he wouldn't always feel this way. He knew that there was more for him to do, more for him to lead. And so when, God, when, when Elijah prays to die, God says, no. No. But he doesn't abandon him. He doesn't turn his back on him. He sees him under that broom brush and he has compassion on him. Elijah says, God, I've had enough. I've given up. I'm through with this, with you, with all of it. I want out. And God sees his pain and his hurt in that moment. And he has plans to deal with it. But first he knows there's other needs that Elijah has. This is what it says in verse 5. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And so he got up and he ate and he drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And then he went into the cave and spent the night. I love this passage. I love this section of scripture. The first thing we see is that, that God has upgraded his Uber Eats from ravens to angels. It's a really smart business decision, right? Bigger wings for one, but more importantly, hands. Imagine if the ravens had brought the jar of water before they'd even squawked, get up! It would have been everywhere, it would have been soggy bread, it had been pecked to death, and God knew that Elijah needed more in this moment, so he sent angel. Angel eats instead. It wasn't scraps, it was proper food. Bread baked over hot coals. We're trying to... Um, we're trying to eat a little bit better at home at the moment, and so we've got this bread called wholemeal. Have you, have you tried it? <laughs> I know. It's a, little, it's a little bit better than brown, but not much. And uh, last weekend when we were away at this wedding, we stayed with Sean's grandparents, and they have um, triple XL white bread. <laughs> right? It's like the softest, most delicious what they do is they toast it and then they smear it with real salted butter and then they serve it with thick slices of mature cheddar cheese. Oh my goodness. If you've been on the wholemeal bread, it's like, it's like heaven on a plate with a side of cheese. It's just, 
I had tonsillitis, and I, so it hurt to swallow, but I wasn't missing out. <laughs> but you know, I love that passage because Elijah is here, he's spiritually and he's mentally depressed, and the first thing God does for him is make him a sandwich. Right? You can literally save someone's life with a sandwich. If you take nothing away from that this morning, from this this morning, remember that. The guy literally wants to die, and God says, All right, mate, but have you tried this loaf? I've just got out of the oven. It's really good. Baked over hot coals. You know that, um, you know that Snickers advert where it says, You're not yourself when you're hungry? Remember that one? God literally Snickers Elijah. He says, Take a break, take a Kit Kat. <laughs> Just get some rest, have a nap, and I'll cook you some more, and then we're going to go on a journey. But first, you need some rest, and you need to eat something. Sometimes when we're down, when we're struggling, we have a, we have a tendency to over-spiritualize things. But really, we just maybe need to get a little bit better at looking after ourselves. If you're feeling low and depressed and not coping, sometimes the first question we need to ask ourselves is, am I getting enough sleep? Am I eating right? Am I getting enough exercise? And as much as we're spiritual beings, we're physical beings as well. And if we don't look after ourselves properly, we suffer. We don't see things as we should. Our ability to cope is diminished. That's science. According to the National Sleep Foundation, which is a real thing, how good would it be to work there? Um, Adults need between seven and nine hours of sleep a night. According to the NHS, we should consume 2,500 calories for guys, 2,000 for women, and we should get at least 150 minutes of moderate aerobic exercise per week. How's that going for you? So God says to Elijah, have some rest, eat some bread, and then head out for a walk, go to Horeb, that's a good jaunt. Actually, I don't think Elijah needed too much exercise, did he? I mean, he's just <laughs> ran 100 miles. But It's interesting, isn't it? The, so he sends him to Horeb, it's only about 200 miles away, and I don't know if there's any maths experts in, but 200 divided by f- uh, 40 is 5, so... Um, five miles a day isn't really a very impressive distance to cover, is it? Unless, of course, you're kind of broken and struggling in some way. And then the smallest steps in the right direction can be the biggest victory. Maybe Elijah only travelled a few metres that first day from one bush to the next, and maybe a few more again. And maybe there were times on the journey where he thought, I'm never going to get there. But God had given him what he needed to make it through that journey, right? He gave him what he needed to make it through the journey. God has given you whatever you need to make it through what you are facing right now. Often as humans, I think we're we're really impatient and we, we want suffering and pain to be over quickly. We just want it to be done, don't we? But sometimes I think we need to walk in things for a while because God is doing a deeper work in us. Sometimes God needs to do things in us that can't be done in a day or a week or maybe even a month. Sometimes it's much longer than that. The road to recovery is often longer than we realise. Jesus' brother James says that we need to let perseverance finish its work so that we may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. But that's a really hard lesson to learn, especially when we don't feel we're making much progress. Why was he heading to Horeb? Well, Horeb was also known as Mount Sinai. It was the place where Moses had met with God. The burning bush, the, the tablets of stone, it was a spiritual place. Elijah was going back to his roots in God. He's going back to his foundation. And it says eventually he uh, reaches the cave and he rests. And God speaks to him. It says in verse 9. 
What are you doing here, Elijah? What a question. He's just walked 40 days and 40 nights and God says, what are you doing here? What do you mean, what am I doing here? Of course, God knew. He was, knew every step of the journey. But I think what's happening in this moment is that God wants to give Elijah the opportunity to unburden himself. I think he wants to give him the opportunity to pour out his heart and to speak his mind and tell God what's going on. Now this next bit, it's not written in block capitals, but I feel like it should be because I think Elijah is shouting this. I think this bursts out of him. I think he's been sitting with this the whole time that he's been on his way to the mountain because that's what brokenness is like. It, it weighs on us, it churns us up, and eventually it comes out, whether that's in anger or tears or groans or whatever. This is what he shouts. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I've been zealous for you. The Israelites, they've rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. Me. That's not fair. That's not right. Are you listening to me, God? How could you let that happen to me? Your servant. I've added that last bit, but you can, you can hear it, can't you? That anger and that frustration coming to the surface. Have you ever shouted at God? Have you ever got really cut loose and expressed how you're really feeling to him? I have, from time to time. Does anyone do that thing where you, um, you like rehearse prayers in your head before you say them? You like you figure out how you're going to phrase something or what specific words you're going to use. Why do we do that? God knows what's in our heart. He knows how we're feeling anyway. He knows what's going on already. I wonder if this comes back to this idea that we, we think we need to be all right before God will hear us. We need to phrase something a particular way before God will hear us. It's not true. Elijah isn't holding back. He's pouring out his brokenness to God in this moment. Why is this happening? What am I supposed to do? And as he shouts into the cave and he hears his own voice echoing off the walls, that anger and frustration surrounds him and he begins to feel trapped. He begins to feel the prison-like nature of his brokenness. And so God says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. But Elijah waits. He sits in it for a bit longer. It says, A great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and stood at the mouth of the cave, and a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? The same words are spoken again. God knows that Elijah isn't yet done. He's almost out of the cave. You notice that. He was in the cave and now he's almost out of the cave and he's beginning to sense that God is with him, that he's here. There's that still small voice, that, that whisper of God. I love that, the whisper of God. I was thinking about it this week. When do we, when do we whisper? When we're kids, it's like when you've got a seeker, isn't it? But as an adult, I think the time I whisper the most is when I want to offer comfort. 
when my Elijah, my little boy, comes to me hurt and broken, I, I, I pick him up and I whisper, it's all right. It's okay. I'm here for you. I've got you. I love you. And I think the second time Elijah responds, and it's the same words again, I think he does it with tears in his eyes and his voice breaking. He says, I've been very zealous. I've been zealous for you. And the Israelites, they've rejected your covenant and, and they've torn down your altars and your prophets have, have been put to death with the sword and I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. They're trying to kill me, Father. They're trying to do away with me. It's okay. I've got you. I love you. We're going to get through this. I think God's response is so, so beautiful here. He says, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Saphat, from Abel, Meloah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel. Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. And yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, whose mouths have not kissed him. You see, in his hurt and his brokenness, Elijah has become blinded to reality. All he can see is his hurt. He thought he was all alone, that he'd been forgotten about, but it was never true. We're told in 18 that Abadiah had hidden a hundred prophets of Yahweh in a cave and supplied them with food and water, and now God tells him, you know what, there's also 7,000 people who've heard your message. They've not bowed the knee to bow. 7,000 people that are still faithful to me. And more than that, you know what? There's a plan. There's a plan to get rid of these corrupt leaders. They're going to be replaced. And Elisha, he's going to come alongside you. And he's going to work with you. And he's going to carry on your work when you're, when you're done. And you see what, what's happening in this moment is that, that God is gently restoring hope to Elijah. He's restoring his hope. It's okay. I'm here for you. I love you. I've got this. It's going to be okay. He didn't come in the wind or the, the earthquake or the fire or any other dramatic way that Elijah might have expected him to come, certainly given his past. But he comes gently and lovingly in the middle of the mess. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And you know what? I think there are times in our life when we need to say, God, I don't understand this. I'm broken and I'm hurting and I, and I thought things were going to be better than this, but they're not. They're, they're worse. Or maybe we're at the point where we just need to shout. Or maybe we're at the point where we can hardly speak the words. But you know what? Today I really believe that God wants to restore your hope. He sees the mess you're in. He knows your fears and failures. We can't hide anything from you. And he loves you as he always has, and he always will. There's a few verses in Romans chapter 8 that I, I think really speak into this, that I just want to share with you as we come to a close. So it's Romans 8 verse 22. It says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. In other words, things aren't as they should be, right? This is hard. This life is difficult. This is the pain before it gets better. It says in verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Even us, even us as Christians suffer. We know 
we're adopted, we know who we belong to, we know where we're going, but there's a sense in which we're still waiting for the completion of that. We're still at the adoption agency, we're still in the mess, things are still really hard for us. It says, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We're still in that place of brokenness, we're waiting, we're patient, but we're not alone. Because he goes on to say, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I bet you none of what Elijah experienced during this time felt good. (laughs) I'm sure of it. But God never let him go. He continued to work in his life. He continued to work in the mess until he was restored. I don't know every circumstance of your lives this morning. Some of you have shared with me some of the difficulties you're going through, some of the brokenness in your life. I've shared with some of you some of the brokenness in mine. But, you know, we're all, we're all fragile, aren't we, under the surface From time to time we get angry with God about the situations that we find ourselves in. Or we become proud and we we think we're justified with our dissatisfaction. Or we get disappointed in God when he doesn't quite work the way that we expect him to work. Or maybe we just get exhausted from, from giving out too much and not taking enough in. We become ill and unable to, to cope. And like Elijah, we can find ourselves saying, Lord, I've had enough. I've just had enough. And that's okay. I want you to know this morning that it is okay not to be okay. But I also want you to know that God hasn't had enough of you. He isn't angry with you. He isn't disappointed in you. He isn't exhausted by you. He loves you as he always has and always will. He's in the cave with you. Asking today, what are you doing here? Not because he's ignorant of your situation, but because he wants to meet with you in that moment and whisper to you, it's okay. I've got you. I love you. I'm here for you. It's not always going to be this way. We're going to get through this. I wonder if the band would um, maybe just come and join me. I don't know exactly where you are right now. Maybe some of you feel like you're running for your life. (laughs) As far as you can go and then a bit further still. Maybe some of you feel like you're under that broom brush just waiting to die. Maybe you're on your way to Horeb just unsure if you're going to make that journey. Unsure if you're going to get there and it's going to be okay. Or maybe some of you are just in that cave feeling more broken than ever just surrounded by the pain and the suffering. But whatever you feel like today, I know that God is wanting to meet with you. I know he's wanting to meet you in that place. It's okay not to be okay. Wouldn't you stand with me? I think it would be good just to pray. If you're feeling great today, 
you're like on cloud nine, like, yes, my life is a constant victory parade. Can you just pray for everybody else? Who maybe isn't feeling so great. And this morning, I think if you, you know, if you're really, <laughs> if things are really hard for you right now, and you just want someone to come alongside you, to stand with you, to pray with you, um, the, the ministry team are just going to be at the back of the church there. You can go there and someone will stand and pray with you, minister to you. But more than anything, I believe that God wants to minister to you today. To see you through, to restore your hope, to whisper to you. And you can be honest with him. You can tell him how you're really feeling. He can take it. He knows already, by the way. You can't hide it from him. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes we think we shouldn't be this way. We're Christians. We should be fine. We should be all right. But we're not always. There's still those groans. Even us who have experienced the first fruits, we're still waiting. We're still not quite where we should be. And so it's all right not to be okay. Let's just close our eyes. Father, for those of us this morning who've just recognized ourselves in that journey of Elijah, we just know that we were, we were somewhere with you, maybe somewhere great, and now we feel like it's all fallen apart. Like we're not really sure anymore. We're not confident. We, we just want it to be over. We're looking for a way out. Father, would you just come and meet with us? God, would you just come and send your Holy Spirit to minister to us right now? Father, would you just tune us into you? You say in your word that, that when we're in that place, that your Holy Spirit intercedes for us with wordless groans. Father, would you just allow us to hear that whisper? Father, if there are those here this morning that just need reminding of your love, that gentle whisper of God that says, it's okay, I love you, I've got this, we're going to get through, Father, would you just remind them now? And Father, for those of us who feel that maybe at the moment we want to give up, <laughs> God, would you just begin to gently restore hope? Father, just remind us of your promises that we have a future, that we have a hope, that you love us, that nothing on heaven or earth will separate us from that love. Not height or depth or width or angels or demons or anything in heaven or on earth. God, we need you. We need you in this place today. Come and speak, Lord. Thank you, Lord.